Hello and welcome to the Lancet podcast for the issue dated October the 28th to November the 3rd. I'm Richard Lane. This week's podcast will focus on the reform of the Mexican health system, coinciding with the launch of a series and following up the high-level meeting held in Mexico City three weeks ago that we featured in a previous podcast. In a moment, I'll be talking to Mexico's health minister and architect of the reforms, Dr. Julio Frank. Before that, some other highlights this week. We publish online a study showing how the drug Rimonabant can reduce body weight and improve control of blood glucose and other cardiovascular risk factors for people with type 2 diabetes. A research article in this week's issue highlights how two or three doses of a vaccine against pneumococcal disease, such as pneumonia or meningitis, may be just as effective as the four-dose schedule currently recommended in the United States. Another research article shows how an estimated 80,000 women in 42 developing countries do not have access to life-saving caesarean section procedures. And our lead editorial discusses how three of the five candidates running for the job of the next executive director of the Global Fund to fight AIDS, tuberculosis and malaria lead the field. The election takes place on November the 1st. And talking of elections, we now have a blog dedicated to the upcoming election of the new Director General of the World Health Organization. Take a look at blogs.thelancet.com or follow the link from our homepage. But Mexico and its reforming health system is our focus this week, coinciding with a series published online and running over the next few weeks in the main journal. Here's Mexico's health minister, Dr. Julio Frank. Mexico, like most developing countries, is facing a double burden of disease. We still have not completely controlled the old scourges of uh, malnutrition, common infections, maternal deaths. But we are already facing the emerging challenges represented by non-communicable diseases and injury. And it is this double burden that's putting unprecedented pressures on the health system. And like most developing countries, Mexico was forced to modernize its health system in order to, to respond to this much more complex picture. One particular issue that became apparent through very detailed analysis and gathering of evidence was uh, what I call uh, the unacceptable paradox, meaning that we know today that health is one of the most effective means of fighting poverty, but yet paying for health care can become itself an impoverishing factor for families when they lack some form of insurance that will protect them against the financial consequences of becoming ill. And this is exactly what was happening in Mexico. Half of the population was uninsured, and therefore they were facing tremendous financial barriers to access. They would delay or even completely renounce needed care because of financial barriers, or if they were able to surmount those barriers, they would face catastrophic expenditures. What we did then was to bring our health system up to date with current challenges through a very thorough reform that is meant to provide universal insurance to everyone, including the poorest members of our society. And that's important, isn't it? Because absolutely the heart of your healthcare reform is this ethical vision that you have for healthcare in Mexico. Absolutely. We, we see access to high-quality services as a fundamental right of persons, and therefore there can be no discrimination in the way that right is exercised. We've had in our constitution a recognition of the right to healthcare, but what we needed to do was not just to recognize it, but actually to empower people to exercise the right. And until now, like in many developing countries, persons who have a salary job in a formal company had insurance, and therefore they could exercise the right through a, some form of financial protection that would assure them high-quality services without having to pay at the, at the point of, of use of services. But people working on their own were denied 
this same kind of vehicle to exercise the right to high-quality health care. And this is what the reform is doing. It's, it's bridging that divide and putting every citizen on the same footing to exercise their right, irrespective of their position in their labor market, their income, their gender, their ethnic origin, the region of the play, of the country in which they live. This has to be a universal right, and this is the ethical underpinning for this reform. Indeed. And Mexico, with a population of around 100 million, and previously, before the reforms, 50 million uninsured. Two questions, really. How long will it take you to, to drive through your reforms to the whole population? And importantly, who's paying for the reform? The reform is a gradual process, and there's a new law that gives us seven years to achieve universal insurance, that is to say, to enroll and protect 50 million persons, half of the population who are uninsured, which include the poorest members of, uh, of our society. So it's seven years, and that is not a lot, a lot of time, because that means we need we enroll whole families. We're talking about 12 million families who are uninsured. So we need to enroll about 1.7 million families a year. And it's a very intense process. Families have to be convinced of the value of of the insurance. It's not compulsory. We, we cannot force people to enroll, but they, they have to actually see some value added. And so far, it's going very well because we're right on track. We're finishing the third of the seven years. And as we speak, we are reaching the goal, the target for this year, which is 5.1 million families enrolled, about 22 million persons already in the third year of the insurance scheme. Now, the main source of funding comes from general tax revenues, both at the federal and at the state level. There is also a premium, a subsidized premium, that families paid, but that's means-tested. What that signifies is that families contribute according, according to their income, and the poorest 20% of families are completely exempt from any contribution. The remaining make a contribution according to their own income. But the main source of funding is through taxes. And this has been also a fiscally responsible reform. We haven't raised taxes to, to finance it. Rather, we've done important savings on administration, for example, huge cuts, costs in bureaucracy. When I began as minister, we were devoting a full 8% of the total budget of the ministry just to central administration. That's down to 3% this year. And it's liberating those resources, achieving a lot of efficiency gains, changing the nature of the incentives so that providers really are rewarded when they respond to people's needs and expectations. All of this has been the core for making this a financially sustainable reform. I mean, this all sounds fantastic, but as you have said, you're only three years through implementation, so you're not complacent. You still have challenges ahead. Absolutely. We need to keep the rhythm. We need to make sure that the extra funding really gets translated into better quality services. One interesting feature, which I think is very relevant for other developing countries, is that we realized we, we had an underfunded system, underfunded vis-a-vis -vis this double burden, these new challenges we have to face. So the reform includes this gradual process for increasing by a full percentage point of gross domestic product over the seven years, the total public expenditure in health in our country for the previously uninsured population. Now, that is a substantial increase, although it happens gradually over seven years. And we need to make sure not only that we get more money for health, but that we achieve more health for the money, that we really introduce the necessary organizational changes so that actually those additional monies get translated into concrete benefits for people. And finally, Dr. Frank, do you think there's enough information now coming out of the Mexican experience that can actually help and empower other countries who are trying to reform their health systems? Yes, I think it's our duty 
in any national experience to make that available to the rest of the global community. Every reform experience is a unique opportunity, if we document it properly, to share with others and really engage in a global process of shared learning where some countries learn from others. We ourselves in Mexico have learned a lot from the experiences of other countries, both positive and negative experiences. And now we feel it's our responsibility to also put our own experience, to make it available to, to everyone. And this is why the Lancet's uh, contributions in publishing this series of papers is so important, because it is actually getting the evidence out to the entire community so that we can engage in this process of shared learning. I always have said that in order to reform, we must inform ourselves or else we may deform rather than reform. Well, the only way of informing ourselves is to really know what others have done so that we avoid repeating past mistakes and we actually take advantage of those experiences that have been successful. Every country will have to adapt those lessons to its own specific circumstances. But I think we engage in global solidarity when we all put our experience on the table and make it available for others to benefit from it. One final, final question. It's not just about reform for reform's sake. You've actually got to evaluate your reform as you go along, haven't you? Absolutely. And one hallmark of the Mexican experience has been the intensive use of scientifically derived evidence, both to plan the reform, to advocate for its approval by the legislative branch of government, to implement it, to monitor progress in the course of implementation, and to evaluate the actual results of the reform. And evidence-based health policy is fundamental, and part of that is the evaluation component. And one of the papers in the Lancet series contains the initial results of an external evaluation done by a group of researchers from Harvard University that we contracted to do an entirely independent evaluation. It shows very promising results. It also points to areas where we need to improve, and it's only if we do this process of shared learning with good evidence that it can actually benefit other countries. So there is both a practical need for good evaluation and good evidence, and there's also, I think, I think an ethical imperative in the name of transparency, in the name of actually contribute to global knowledge, to invest in, uh, as, part, as an integral part of reform in good evaluation of its results. Dr. Frank, thank you very much for talking to The Lancet and good luck with the rest of your work. Thank you very much. That was Dr. Julio Frank, Mexico's health minister, concluding this week's podcast. Thanks for listening and email any feedback to podcast at lancet.com. See you next week.